This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooker. I'm afraid I went back and read the 50 cent book two more times. So it's like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you describe what 50 cents book is? Yeah, it's like a self-help book. No, no, it's like a, like a, like a coachingy style book, like a like a shit business book. My favorite genre of book, mixed with like a fifty cent autobiography. And the more I think about it, I'm like, they're my two favorite <laughs> pastimes, like jammed together. Like, I'm like, it's no wonder this thing is like the best piece of cultural, yeah, the best cultural artifact I've ever come across is this book. Also, I don't think you'll find anyone in Sydney, at least. Who's a bigger fan of the other members of G Unit besides Fifty Cent than you? <laughs> so I mean, it's it's even got that. It's got like it's three of your core interests in one. I really do think Yayo is super underrated. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I sent you like two or three. You sent me so many clips about Yayo, who was a member of G who was a member of G Unit, like often, and and you, like their earnest friendship yeah. homework from you being like, "Hey, Shaq, I think like you've got to admit Yayo was really on one when he when he." Wrote Recorded this freestyle on the Breakfast Club in 2002, and I love that I'm like I, I can't imagine what I expect you to do with that information. <laughs> like you can start playing Yayo at club nights and stuff. But look, okay, oh. so, so you went. But- <laughs> I think it's the, uh, oh gosh, it's the, the, the two healthiest podcast co hosts going around. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I want to talk about this book. You can't, you can't make me laugh. It's going to make me cough, but okay. All right, okay. You- How are you, Shake? How's like you're dying? Give us the give us the 311, but I do need so I, I really genuinely do, do have more to talk about about this book. <laughs> Well, look, I think I think it's probably important to note that, like, mm. Peach and I are probably having not the best or easiest time <laughs> at the moment. Both of us, we're yeah. having, like, work issues. I'm having health issues. I've, I'm like, I still have COVID and I'm trying to record. <laughs> I shouldn't. I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> and it's making me, you're laughing. It's making me cough. And usually I, would, <laughs> usually I would edit out coughs, but I think it probably makes sense to leave at least yeah. some of them. <laughs> oh, my God. But, but, but. I imagine, Peach, you went back to the 50 Cent book because it's, you know, it's a bit comforting for you. Yeah, yeah, it's a definite comfort book. When shit's going down, right? Mm, and I was like, there's going to be some nuggets of truth in here that are going to help me. And, of course, there aren't any useful nuggets of truth. And, and <laughs> the reason for that is I've realized how absurdly specific 50's advice is. If I could just give you two quick examples. Right. 50 says, look, don't drink, or if you are going to drink, drink in extreme moderation. Like one or two glasses a night is fine. 
or if you're sharing a bottle of champagne with loved one with a loved one on Valentine's Day or whatever. Yeah, I get it. But you know, despite the fact I own three <laughs> alcohol brands, <laughs> you really you should, you, my opinion advice is not to drink so much. And he's like, look, people often ask me about that. Of like, oh, look, why do you um, empty out champagne bottles and fill it with mineral water and walk around pretend mm-hmm. like tricking people into thinking you're drinking champagne at parties? And I'm like, the reason is, what if Dr. Dre said? Uh, look, I've only got an hour, you know, meet me at the studio in 30 minutes to drop a verse on like a hot beat. And you said, no, no, not until I've got a bit of buzz going, but having a couple of beers. And (laughs) like essentially his point is don't create a crutch for yourself that may prevent you from giving your best performance for Dr. Dre on short notice. (laughs) (laughs) That is really good advice. So specific <laughs> that it's like getting alcohol or even like he raises the the example to like cough syrup or weed where he's like, you know, if Dr. Dre comes and you're like, no, Dr. Dre, not until I've had my cough syrup or not until I've, um, you know, not until the weed man's come. And he's like, mm, do you think Dr. Dre is going to be calling back to make some more songs with you in the future? Probably not. So don't drink and don't smoke too much weed. Fuck, now I'm really worried Dr. Dre is going to call up and I'm going to be coughing. <laughs> <laughs> My genuine fear is that Spit Syndicate will be like, Peach, I'm so sorry. We've got to go to it next week. <laughs> what are you and Shag up to? Um, that would be good fun. So Peach is mm. leaning into 50 Cent because obviously, like, times are tough. Times are tough for me as well. So I've been leaning into yeah. my comfort food, which is feel bad club movies. I was like, yes. we haven't done a feel bad club movie in a couple of weeks and it was time to dive back into it. Oh, God. These are my least favorite. No, but, but, but one of the real, like, when I was researching the one that we're going to do mm. today, and it's proper, mm. like, this is Hall of Fame feel bad club. People talk about how bad this film makes them feel, particularly the ending of the film. To the point where there was an interview I read from the writer and director or the uh, adapter and director because it's, uh, it's originally another writer's work that kind of explained why when I'm feeling bad, when we're having a tough time, why instead of reaching for to reread or re-listen to the 50 Cent book, either in book form or audio book form, mm. I go to Feel Bad Club movies. And this is his quote where they were specifically asking, why did you make the ending so depressing? And he said, hey, I love, and also I think this quote's really good if you imagine me saying this, but in like a tough New Yorker accent. Hey, starting with hey actually has got my attention. <laughs> right, 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 so, <laughs> Okay, okay, what's going so on? So the guy? director of this film says, hey, I love a happy ending just as much as anybody. It's satisfying. <laughs> uh, now I can't think of it not in the New York a- accent, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, hey, I love a happy ending just as much as anybody. It's satisfying. I get a happy ending. God knows. But I also love Night of the Living Dead. I also love The Thing. I also love those movies that really just dare to challenge the audience. Sometimes shit doesn't work out, and sometimes you made the wrong decisions even if you meant well. Life is like that. Life doesn't always hand you a happy ending, does it? In fact, I wonder more often than not if it doesn't. And I was like, fuck. This is what, like, you know, this is like, it's such a simple crux because it's like, Feel Bad Club is like, no, 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 I don't want to see a fake version of life. I want to see the real version of life. Maybe I want to see the elevated version of life. So it's like, at least I can go, well, yeah, maybe that reflects my reality a bit more than like, than, than like a feel good, everybody wins in the end. 
But I don't think you're a pessimist at heart, Shag. Isn't that just quite like a nihilistic, pessimistic way of looking at the world? I don't think it's a nihilistic way of looking at the world. I think it's a way of going, okay, all right. To put it another way, the older you get, the more you realise nothing ever ends, right? Like, until you die, I'm everything keeps- I'm expecting to die pretty- Yeah, oh, right. Sorry. Until no, you die, yeah, okay. nothing ends, right? Yeah. Love stories mm. don't end. Problems don't end. Success doesn't stay success forever. Failure doesn't stay. <laughs> no, but failure doesn't stay forever either. All of these things like every- 50 Cent has a great lesson about this genuinely <laughs> as well, actually. But, <laughs> but I guess that's my point, right? So, it's like mm. if you rely on happy endings- it's 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 unreflective of life, but if at least if you take solace in depressing endings, the cool thing about depressing <laughs> endings, they don't always like life keeps going. I I don't know. I don't really have a hundred percent a point, but I feel like I think there's a point in there. Yeah, I feel like it a- encapsulates why I love feel bad club movies so much. And I think there can be something there as well of like um, wanting to embrace the. Um, yeah, the fact that we don't always get clarity and we don't always get like precisely what we hope for and wish for and, and seeing that sort of wish fulfillment, um, end of measure for measure or whatever that ridiculous Shakespeare play was like, Hey, we're all in the skies and we're all getting married <laughs> right now. It's like triple happy, happy ending. Actually, Ooh. actually what you just said is right. What you just said is right. And this is it, right? Mm. We get to, from a safe distance, revel in the understanding that mm. shit often doesn't work out. From a yep. very safe distance, we can go, yeah, right, like life is chaotic and sometimes really fucked and I can, I can accept this without having to accept any real consequences in my life. 100%. Which I will have to down the line at some point. Like it's such a good segue to the film, Shag, but I've got like a thousand more 50 cent anecdotes, <laughs> so I'm so, I'm so torn. <laughs> All right, today, today. Let's get to that feel bad club. Today, today, we are doing, and weirdly, I know we've been talking about him a lot, but this is a film based on another Stephen King short story. From 2007, Peach, today, we are doing Feel Bad Club classic, Ugh. The Mist. I didn't know this was Feel Bad Club. Whoa. Mom, Dad, you gotta come see. The butter's so bad. You just gotta come, come on. How'd you folks hold up in the storm? Big insurance day. Sorry to hear that. What's going on? It's death. Something in the mist! Shut the doors! Shut the doors! The only way we're gonna help ourselves is to seek rescue. You tie this around your waist? Or four. You'll let us know you got at least 300 feet. There's nothing out there. Nothing in the midst. What if you're wrong? Then I guess the job would be on me. It is time to take sides. Read the good book. It calls for blood. Guys, I hear something. Those bugs? Not like any I've ever seen. The entire front of this store is plate glass. They wanted to try and make a window. Well, maybe your window turned out to be a door. Lucy's gonna sacrifice to make it all better. We want the boy. You try it. Kill him! 
a surprising number of spoilery type things. I feel like trailer making has really changed in the years to come. It's like there are these kind of monsters in there. <laughs> I was not. I was expecting to be like, are there monsters? Like, it's it's like made up. See, it's like, here's, here's a couple of the monsters. <laughs> it's weird. It's so true. Look, okay, so really interesting film. When I tell you the the pedigree of this, so this is originally a Stephen King short story. That was adapted by Frank Darabont. Does that name ring a bell to you? Uh, I feel like it was mentioned in an episode of, I don't think we're, uh, 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 what's the, oh, yeah, that, that <laughs> terrible um, he was, entourage. He was an entourage. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But, but, so he has adapted and directed two Stephen King stories. First of all, he wrote and directed The Shawshank Redemption. The people, like, love. The people and it's fine. love, love, yeah. absolutely love. And he also did The Green Mile. But here's what he said. So I just want to read another quote from that interview I was telling you about where people basically explicitly were like, why is the ending of this film so dark? Because this is, this, it's really important to note, he changed the ending from Stephen King's ending of The Mist to be way darker. Because Steve, like, Steve, Stephen King tends to bop along at the end of it. No, it was pretty crazy. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what it's like being a struggling writer in Maine. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just what happens. <laughs> but this, this was his quote, right? He said, listen, that's what Shawshank is. It has that happy bow. They went through some grueling stuff, but at the end of the day, there's a big hug. It's like a big Hallmark card, really, at the end. And that's okay. That's the kind of movie that was. But if that's our steady diet, then we're only eating McDonald's cheeseburgers. We're not ever trying something else. It's limiting us. So it's kind of cool that not only is he being like, it's kind of important to revel in sort of fact, he's also being like, you are a smart person who is expanding their horizons if you watch bad stuff, which makes me feel pretty good about myself. Oof, yeah, okay, Chan. Like, well done. <laughs> I'm reading 50 Cent in our self-help books over here. I'm doing all right as well. I'm doing heaps of cultural. Get- yeah, no, but you know what it. I also yeah. I think is really funny is, yeah. and this is, this is a side note, and I think you're allowed to criticize your heroes. It's like yeah. I genuinely love the work of Stephen King. I think he's as influential on horror and pop culture as any other horror writer. He's a really great presence in terms of like social issues and just being online and standing up for what he believes in, like Mm. all of that. But he does write a lot of sex scenes in his books, like a lot. And they're horrible books, right? And like, obviously, like there's nothing wrong with writing a sex scene, but part of me is kind of like, if you're not writing a sex scene to arouse the reader, which he's probably not in a horror book, Mm. Are you writing it to like arouse yourself? Like arouse yourself? I don't like. I don't know. It's like as a writer, you can literally write anything, <laughs> yeah. and you can also choose not to write a sex scene. Yes. So it's weird how like it gets mm. to about two thirds of the way through every Stephen King book, and he's like, Ooh, <laughs> 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 I imagine it's always like heterosexual sex between people in their like mid to late twenties, except in it where it's. Uh, where it's child yeah, we, yeah yeah which which you know which the, uh, more yeah, we has are been against sp- child pornography just no, to be no. clear like we don't need to skate over it <laughs> no no of course we can but yeah. like, again it's like it's so weird like it's so it was so weird because i read that as like a 15 year old who borrowed that from my high school library yes yeah, and and i remember even at the time i remember being like am i allowed to be reading this like is this okay, <laughs> is this okay? And I think for for that reason, I was probably like hid the fact that I'd read it to everyone I knew for like a long time before I actually admitted that it was like one of the first. Steve- I think it was like the first Stephen King book I read. 
Maybe it was Carrie. Fuck, how many of these things have you read? I read all the classics. Like, he has all these new ones. A lot of them involve trucks and things like- Tommy Knockers and- Oh, no, I read Tommy. Like, Tommy Knockers is still, like, 90s. Like, I think pretty much all his work in the 80s and 90s, I'm pretty sure I read. Shag, okay. This guy over here, all right. But anyway, so this director, he'd worked on two Stephen King films that Mm. weren't horror. You know, like, Shawshank Redemption's absolutely just like a- I mean, it's in the title. Like, it's a redemption story. Yeah. And Green Mile's like magical realism. Yeah, it's magical realism, but mm. it's not it's not horror, really. Mm. So, this was his first foray into horror. And fucking hell, like, this film wasn't like a massive hit at the time. But in horror circles, people know about this film and purely because of the ending. Because you're right. Most of the film is, like, it's well done, but it's pretty hokey. Mm. And it's got that sort of, like... When I describe these monsters to you, imagine them in like a mid noughties CGI lens where it was good enough to be like, let's CGI all the monsters, but not good enough so when you watch it now, it looks like a PlayStation 3 game. I was going to say it looks like a God of War cutscene. from <laughs> yeah. <or> something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So the film begins in... Bridgeton, Maine, mm. where anyone doing any writing? Around wait, 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 wait. So the main, <laughs> the main character is a he's an artist, and he okay. paints the posters for films. Yuck. And he and it's very 2007, so he makes a joke like the, like clearly in the writing team they were like, how the fuck do we justify that this is this is this guy's job? And he's like, oh, any kid with Photoshop because Photoshop was the chat GPT yeah. of 2007. It's like yeah. a, any kid with Photoshop could totally make a poster these days, but it's about, you know, what I bring to it. So, anyway, so he's up late one night painting a poster for a film. It's so funny, isn't it, though, like when you see, like you get a sense of scripts that someone's like, we need to fucking, exp- like we need to explain this. Yeah. <laughs> like you just have one of those lines. It's like, hey, the reason why it's not dumb that the character does this. <laughs> it's just you get an insight into the writer's mind. And it's always like, you know, the kid being like, Daddy, why do you paint when Photoshop exists? Uh, fuck. Like, but it's so like it's why look the early Harry Potter's are unwatchable for a huge number of reasons. <laughs> but I, I had I had cause to rewatch the Quidditch scene the other day, and Harry's like, wait, wait, wait. I thought the snitch was the only ball, and it's like, no, no, Harry, look out for the two quafflers. because it's like, oh, okay, so the seeker does everything. It's like, oh, Harry, no, 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 <laughs> you got to have six people on the team. <laughs> it, it, like, like it's the criticism we have in the. Mm. The original Daniel Craig James Bond is an ad for poker. It's weird how much yeah. it's just an ad for how cool <laughs> yeah. poker is and how much fun <laughs> it is to play. And how it's like, ooh, that's a pretty good poker move. And what are you trying to do in poker? Really <laughs> yeah, like it'll cut, it'll show James Bond at the table making a move and it'll cut to his operative being like, now what James is doing here? <laughs> See, he's double blind, so he has yeah. to bet now. And if you got the pot, like, triple threat, you got to fucking look out. Anyway, so. So he is a painter in 2007, even though Photoshop mm. exists, right? Yeah. I'm going to try and not die during this episode. Yeah, but I'll, I'll stand with you. All right. It's nighttime. He's in his studio mm. and there's a massive power storm causing a tree to fall into the window of their home, destroying some of his artworks, destroying part of the house. It's actually, it's a bit of a jump scare moment. It's quite early on. Mm. And the whole family goes downstairs. The next morning they come up to survey the damage and they notice a thick mist advancing over the lake that they live next to. 
And they're like, that's a bit weird. I've never seen anything like that before. And they try to explain it away because there's just been a storm and maybe it's two fronts colliding. I don't understand weather stuff. That mm. sounds reasonable. Look, I'm with you. Like pre, pre-iPhone, like pre-smartphone, I mean, they had desktops actually. Surely you Google like what's going on with the weather. But also anyway. like pre-iPhone, it would have been so easy to sound smart. You would just say anything with conviction. You'd be like, oh, no, it's two storm fronts. Who could yeah. tell you otherwise? Being a being a like a teenage boy, you, you know, was extremely easy in the nineties. Being like, this band's shit, and their older album's better than this. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number of times I said that is significant. So David lives with his wife Stephanie, and he has an eight-year-old son Billy. Mm. While surveying the damage the next morning, they notice the thickness advancing over the lake. So David and Billy leave for town with their neighbor Brent Norton. Now Brent Norton is played by Captain Holt from. Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, you know, yes, you know, yes. Like, and he's basically the same character. He's like yeah, a severe. I think even like he's a judge that lives in New York. He's basically Captain imagine. Holt, and he's really severe. And they're, they're clearly having some like property disputes, but because of the storm and it's damaged Captain Holt's car, sorry Brent's car. Mm. David says that he'll drive him into town with Billy, so they'll go into town for supplies. They go into town. They go to the supermarket. And while they're in there, and they do a really good job of this, they slowly ramp up the tension by just having everybody just sort of like slowly revealing their characters in the supermarket being like, so, Bren, I hear you're a big shot judge in town. It's like, well, not as great an artist as you are. Yeah, you would know that being a psychiatrist. (laughs) (laughs) But while while all this character building is happening outside, Mm. you hear all these like sirens and police cars, and then you start to notice military-ish vehicles, and it's like something's going down. They then notice that the mist is starting to come towards them and a terrified local, Dan Miller, runs into the store and says that there was something in the mist that was chasing them and got one of his friends. As a civil alert siren sounds, store managers Ollie Weeks and Bud Brown close off the supermarket and the mist envelops the store, effectively trapping them. I also know that you, you know this was based on a book because like every single character has a first and last name. Oh, God, well put. It also feels like a um, sitcom bottle episode. <laughs> Hugely. I was like, I can't believe you left the keys outside. So we've got to do a whole 24 hours hanging together here. But you get what's happening here, right? So, so <clears throat> David and his son Billy are now trapped in this supermarket <clears throat> and his wife Stephanie and the mother of Billy is at home. Yep. While this is happening, one woman leaves to go home to her children. Everyone's like, no, you can't leave. And she's like, but I can't stay. My kids are out there and I need some help. And nobody decides to go with her because everyone's too scared. And she's basically like, I hope you all burn in hell. I hope you understand that as a parent, I kind of have to go do this and I can't believe no one's helping you. And she goes and she disappears. RIP. Against David's advice, uh, one of the bag boys, Norm, wants to go outside to fix the store's emergency generator. Now, David already is positioning himself as the hero of this film and book mm. because he's the only one with common sense. And he's like, I think there's stuff out there. And everyone's like, there's nothing out there. So Norm goes outside, but he's immediately grabbed by a tentacled creature oh. and dragged into the mist. And so, so number one, it's tentacles, which I, I think is kind of cool, just having tentacles come out of the mist. And what's even cooler is... 
on the sort of flap side or the suction cup side of the tentacles, mm. they have sort of like little mouths filled with sharp teeth. So when they grab you, they slice you. Ooh. So immediately Norm, the bag boy, gets like sliced open as he's being dragged out. So he's not just, like, he's, he's basically being ravaged and then he's dragged out and everyone else who tries to help gets like cut and stuff, right? Feels very Lovecraftian as a as a super. Like I mean, a, like Stephen yeah. King takes a lot of his inspiration from Lovecraft, hundred yeah, percent. Okay. So David and Ollie, remember? Uh, so David, David obviously is a hero. Ollie is one of the mm. store managers. Direct the customers to barricade the storefront windows. It takes a while to convince people, but eventually they see that they see the tentacle. They know that Norm's gone, and people are like, "Fuck, we need to actually yes, protect ourselves now." This. Yeah, Mrs. Carmody. A religious woman begins preaching about an impending Armageddon. Brent disbelieves the dangers of the myth. So Brent remembers Captain Holt mm. and leaves. So Brent the whole time has been like, has just like confronted with every, even confronted with the tentacle. He's like, this is just all a big practical joke. You're playing jokes on me. It's just missed. Oh, that's so dumb. Why would the judge and voice of reason be doing that? <laughs> this is like urban legend logic. Of like, it's another classic practical joke. <laughs> Of the murder victim. <laughs> but I guess the point was, and, you know, I'm like, I'm not going too deep into it, but Stephen King's point with this story, and I think what Frank Darabont's trying to do as well, is talk about, like, what do humans do in obscenely unnatural and high-pressure situations like this? Mm. So anyway, so super fucking boring and played out topic today, <laughs> I've got to say. Like, who gives a shit? Like, so so <laughs> you're right, yeah. you're right. So yeah. Brent disbelieves the dangers of the mist and leaves the store with a small group to seek outside help. Mm. His group is attacked by an unseen force and presumably killed. So there's a lot of shots of people just in what I assume is like a cloudy studio being followed by a camera at a low level, being like, ah, ah, ah. Yeah. Oh, I can feel the sharp teeth from the other side of the suckers sucking it to me. Which I think is actually kind of sc- like, I think the tentacles, not mm. really seeing the whole beast, Knowing the things are out there, all of that so far to me is, like, pretty good and pretty scary. Mm. Okay. Now, David forms connections with several people in the store, including Amanda Dunfrey and Irene Rappler, two teachers who came into conflict with Carmody, who is the the religious woman, over Mm. her religious take on the ongoing disaster. It's also, like, super timely considering what's happening in America right now in the hyper-polarization along sort of semi-religious lines. Mm. Just just the way that this woman is spinning this into, like, follow me and follow my take on Christianity. We find out that one of the teachers, Amanda, carries a revolver in her purse and gives it to Ollie, who we found out earlier in one of those exchanges is a former regional shooting champion. It was probably like, Aren't you a former regional shooting champion? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, because you're, you're a shooting champion judge, of course. That's how you do <laughs> As night falls, mm. enormous flying insects attracted to the lights swarm to the store windows and are preyed on <sighs> by pterodactyl-like creatures. Okay, so, so here's where, to That's me- That's pretty nice and scary of like, oh, my God. It feels very cosmic and intense. It does, it does. But mm. I think one of the things- the creature designer of this film does, and I think it's a mistake, is they use insect-like creatures, but they give them sort of scary human faces and um, or, or like scary like two eyes and a big mouth full of sharp teeth faces. And I think insect and arachnid faces are so much scarier. Yeah, they're big, so alien. Right? Yeah. 
So, so to me, I'm like, I was just a bit like, oh, I was a little bit let down by that. And also giant pterodactyls, it's like, I'm not scared of dinosaurs. Like dinosaurs. Yeah, dinosaurs, fucking boring. Couldn't be less scarier. But anyway, all right. Yeah, like the whole Jurassic Park thing, like, what if there was a dinosaur that came to like the city? I'd be like, yeah. I'm sure like someone would fucking handle it pretty quickly, I'm pretty sure. It's like that Idris Elba movie where it's like, he went on safari and he's stalked by a lion. And it's like, I don't care. Like, I'm sure lions are actually really dangerous and scary and stuff. I just don't care. Like, I'm more scared by a huntsman spider in my house than I would be you if do. there was a lion prowling around outside. I still freak out that it's like, do you know that, you know, redbacks are just hanging in the toilet is where they're going to get you. They're, like, they're just going to be hiding in bits so you can't see. <laughs> they, redbacks especially like to be in places where humans are, just where they can't see them. Yeah, it's good. So they're hiding place where you can't see. So if you check for them and see there aren't any, it means it's likely there are. Yeah, I think the worst is when it's like, did you know that Redbacks, one of their favorite places are in the boots that you leave outside for when you need to go into the bushes? Like, oh, cool, cool, cool. It's one of their favorite places to hang out. They um they stay alive in bubbles in swimming pools as well, which I'm coming to learn as well. So it's like, yeah, that's cool as well. They stay alive for a long time. Yeah. And they just, they just float like a leaf, so you can't even tell they're there. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. How good is that? Anyway, okay, so, all right. One of the predators, including these big locusts, smashed mm. the window, allowing both species inside. In the ensuing panic, two people are killed, including one person who gets bitten by one of the insects, and then their face basically, like, swells up until they're basically like this balloon head lying on the ground. It's a bit weird and freaky. While another receives fatal burns while attempting to incinerate the insects. There's a lot of, like, makeshift weapons in this as well. Like a lot oh, of, like, okay. This is our flamethrower made out of yeah, the yeah. Yeah, deodorant bottle. Yeah, yeah, I follow. Meanwhile, Carmody is miraculously spared from an insect, which convinces her to proselytize more fervently and gain followers among the survivors. A small group led by David. So David's like... We need to go get medicine. Everyone's like, it's too dangerous. You can't go. And he's basically like, you're all chickens. I need some help to go. And then there's like a cool scene where like one of the women in this small town supermarket turned out to be the teacher of like some of the older men. She's like, I used to teach you. You were a scaredy cat then. Are you a scaredy cat now? And so they're like, okay, I'll go out into the midst. That's (laughs) a bit weird actually. But it's pretty cool, right? So anyway. All right, so they go into the pharmacy next door, but they're attacked by giant spiders. So you're starting to see, like, everything's just like a giant- Insect with a weird face. Yeah, so these spiders have, like, weird ghoul faces, and I'm like, spiders' faces are so scary. They've got eight eyes. They have, like, pincers. Their fangs are massive. Just make them spider faces. It's weird that they didn't, but anyway. And also these spiders shoot acid webs. Which I don't... It's like two things together. Because <laughs> acid would dissolve a web, I think. It's like two, it'd be like, they shoot fucking ice lava. And it'd be like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Watch out for the ice lava. <laughs> yeah. It'll burn you up cold. It'll burn you up. <laughs> All right. Okay. So they go in, they get the medicine, but they're attacked by giant spiders that kill two of the men, forcing them to retreat. Carmody, who had opposed the expedition, uses this failure to increase her influence by offering protection from divine wrath to new converts. So in a very short amount of time, she's turning half of this supermarket into like this cult that follows her every word while the rest are trying. I love that Frank Darabont's like, I figured out what would happen if (laughs) it's like I've got it. (laughs) So the next day, 
following the suicides of two soldiers from the local military base. A third soldier, and this is actually annoying because I hate that they explain it, Jessup, because they're like, in the town, Mm. we also find out in the exposition Mm. small talk that there's a military base nearby that's working on something called Project Arrowhead. And part of me's like, I just think if, if there's a top secret project, even if it's in a military base nearby, you probably wouldn't know what it's called. Like, would you? Our project Arrowhead's going well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because it's like the moment you know what it's called, then it becomes a big thing. You'd be like, no, we just do training. We're just a base that does training. Like, that's yeah, that would be the like, story. Come, come through, come through. Yeah. Tour. It's super boring. Yeah. And it'd be like, Project Arrowhead? No, that's just, that sounds like something from Call of Duty. No, this is yeah. just. <laughs> anyway, so, and when they find these two soldiers who've killed themselves, they're like, what the fuck is going on? And so a third soldier, Jessup, reveals that a government project to discover other dimensions was underway mm. at the base and that scientists accidentally opened a doorway into the creature's habitat, which is a bit of a letdown, oh, right? Oh, that is super boring. And it's, and it's just a bit like, it's a bit like, oh, well, that's what the mist is. It's like the mist, it's like, oh, it's from another dimension. I, I always feel like I want an explanation. I think it turns out I don't. You like, don't. I you think, really don't. I think horror fans love jerks who don't explain what the films are about. You, you know, like, we don't actually want a nice guy who tells us exactly what the film's about. We want a jerk to be like, mm, you'll have to figure it out yourself. Angered and vengeful, Carmody's followers offer Jessup, the military guy, as a sacrifice and expel him outside the supermarket, where he's immediately devoured by a giant praying mantis-like creature. Fuck yeah, the creature design is getting really boring now. Well, yeah, you know what I mean? And, and it gets yeah. cool, like, it, it, it gets cool at the end, but it's annoying that... We just see a bunch of the insects from another dimension. But anyway, it's also annoying that you go to another dimension and it's just our insects, but bigger. Oh, it's we've like- got the same shit here, but different scale. It's like we've got tiny little people, <laughs> giant ants. It's wild. <laughs> so anyway, so the next morning, David's like, these like religious wackos are going to keep killing people. We've got to get out of here. They're stopped by comedy. Who have decided now? Now keep in mind, like the whole way through this film, David and his son Billy, like, bi- like it's actually kind of sweet. And like the way they do it, it's like he's just trying to protect Billy from the horrors of outside. You know, he's trying mm. to let him rest. He's trying to find him a blanket. He's trying, like, he's holding him tight all the time. As they're about to leave, Carmody's like, "We need a new sacrifice. We need innocence. It has to be your son, Billy." And it's clearly a bit of a vengeful act, but. The whole crowd turns on Billy and tries to get him. So at this point, immediately Ollie, remember, who's a champion shooter, pulls out the gun and kills Carmody, shoots her straight in the head. Nice. All of the survivors don't really know what to do, especially Carmody's followers who are like, we don't have our leader anymore. We don't know. Like, even That's though- like, can I just interrupt? I'm sorry. That's actually a really cool way to do the plot. Mm. That's a really nice rug pull mm. to be like, oh, you thought it was going to be our big boss. Yeah, okay. And yeah, I, right? that's, that's pretty cool, actually. But then they're, they're basically like, they basically like let them leave as the group makes its way through the parking lot. So it's David and a bunch of the survivors. Ollie, first of all, is devoured by the praying mantis-like creature, while two others who are just like, random extras are killed by the spider creatures from the pharmacy and their acid webs well that sucks bud runs back to the store and is led inside by the patrons so we're left with david and his son billy dan amanda and irene now 
basically, I, if I if I remember correctly, one of them mm. one of them is sort of like probably was probably the love interest from the book. Who is he? Like who is who is a woman sort of uh, David's age? And then there's an old couple. So there's an old couple. And Stephen King's like, there's a reason. <laughs> anyway, so they eventually find a car and they get out of mm. there. Right, driving through the mist, they head back to David and Billy's home. And oh, and we find out that the spider creatures, kind of like the aliens in Alien, sort of wrap you up in a cocoon and sort of leave you to die, like hollowed out. And so they they drive back to their house where David finds Stephanie dead. How are the, like, the interdimensional creatures are like, oh, this is obviously food. Like, this is obviously <laughs> stuff we can eat. We won't get poisoned by these fucking bizarre creatures that we've never seen before. But anyway, so, yeah, okay. and, and it's just this, like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. And there's just mist everywhere, right? Like, everywhere, like, they go, it's just mist. So, he's like, let's just drive and we'll see how far we can go. So, they drive away into town. Along the way, they pass, like, the coolest moment, they pass this colossus six-legged beast, even although now that I think six-legged, it's just another it's insect. An but yeah, yeah, right? But it's still pretty cool because at least it doesn't look like an ant. They keep driving till they eventually run out of gas. And there's a moment where Amanda's to his side with, like, Billy sleeping on her lap. There's the old couple in the back, and he turns around, and he's like, we gave it our best shot. And she's like, yeah, yeah, we did. Anyway, so David earlier managed to get the gun from Ollie. So he checks the gun and there's four bullets in there. And he shares a look with everyone in the car and they're like, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'll figure something out. So then we cut to outside the car and we hear David one by one shoot everyone in the car in the head, killing them, including his son, Billy. And he gets out of the car and he just, like, he just screams, like, screams as you would imagine if you felt like you had to kill your child to i guess save them from something worse pretty much as soon as he screams as soon as he screams the mist suddenly dissipates revealing the vanguard of a u.s army armored column beginning the process of exterminating the creatures and restoring order we see trucks passed with kids saved including the woman and the kid she went out to try and save. Realising that he killed his son and fellow survivors as they were just moments away from rescue, he drops to his knees, screaming in despair. And that's the end of The Mist. Um, yeah, the end, like, I thought it was going to be a little dark. I thought we were going to linger in Do you not the, think that that's pretty to survive. But don't you think that's, like, so, so dark? I think then the like oh they would have been saved if he'd waited one more second is like in fact it really does actually feel like a fifty cent story of like <laughs> see like the lesson is you should have waited one more second before murdering your family it's like I can't like like I, I don't think like based on all the information he had he made the right decision but but okay but but to the point where like for me I'm like this is feel bad club material because it stuck with me to the point where. I had this chat with Adele recently where I was like, this this movie popped into my head and I was like, hey, babe, by the way, <laughs> if, anything, if, if, if this ever happens, I'm not killing Golden Child. Like, Yeah, like I just find this, uh, like, that's just a weird ending to me rather than completely <laughs> grim. It's just sort of dumb. Like, again, it's meant to be like, mm, you got, fucking you got punked. It is, like, like, it is like you got punked. <laughs> 
It's like, well, he like how would he like he had all the information? You know, he just made a decision based on the information about <laughs> this. Is, it's actually like the ultimate punk. It's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the kid. face <laughs> of the giant ant has a trucker cap on. Of <laughs> <laughs> course, everyone's son, like Ashton Kutcher does. <laughs> you got punked, son. <laughs> They're from the uh, MTV dimension. Uh. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Reshes, what's up? Let me tell you one more 50 cent story before you go. <laughs> right? It's just so specific. I just had to tell you, right? So <laughs> it's just like the way the book's structured, he has to tell some stories and then pretend there's like a broader moral to, to like and it is, the moral of all of them is like the just believe me, I'm always gonna come up trumps. <laughs> yeah. So so with with this one. He's like recorded one third of his first album in this producer's house before he's been signed, right? And then he ends up getting signed to Interscope. And the moment he's signed to Interscope, this producer sends an invoice for a hundred grand to Interscope to be like, hey, you know, record I recorded for eight weeks of fucking fifty in here. Um <laughs> and fifty's like, oh, when I found out about that, I was so disappointed. And so I called him up and was like, Hey man, like I'm not really impressed with this invoice. This is a new label. Like, you know, I thought, like, I thought we had a handshake. I thought, I thought we were looking after each other here. And he's like, no, no, man, I need to get paid. And so the label ended up paying him. Little did he know if we'd negotiated, I would have given him probably a point or a point and a half on my first album, probably half a point on my second album. So he just lost about $5 million by being greedy. And it's just like <laughs> it's like I'm like there's definitely a lesson there, but it's hard to like. Yeah, it's, it's like, like so fuck. If I record, if I help record have... someone's album. Yeah. <laughs> but also, yeah, yeah you're right. You should try to get paid. Like, if you do work for someone, it's like, oh yeah. no. You should have realized like... I would have released two very successful albums, <laughs> and if he negotiated for being paid in some different way, he would have made a bit more money. But anyway. That was my money, so <laughs> fuck him, fuck that guy. And also, it's like the other thing is like 50 Cent could still give him a percentage. Yeah, he could still give it to me. <laughs> He's like, power's out of my hand. <laughs> the, the whole book's like that. And again, there are so many stories I've forgotten about how his son sucks. <laughs> Uh, it's a bomb in these challenging times. <laughs>